Here in 2 Timothy, if you've closed your Bibles, please open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14 through 26. And before we dive into this passage, let's pray. I want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible day. And Jesus, we thank you for each and every person here this morning. Father, we ask that you would move powerfully in our hearts and minds. Bring encouragement, bring strength, bring conviction, bring transformation that only you can bring. Holy Spirit, you are awesome, you are glorious, you are wonderful. Lord, give me your words that I would say only what you want and nothing else. And touch us with your word. Give us great hunger for your word. And it's your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. Here in this sermon series, we've been talking about 2 Timothy, where Paul, who is in prison, he was at the point of being executed. He had no idea when he'd be executed for his faith, but he knew it was going to happen. And he wrote Timothy, one of his own disciples, one of the young men who he discipled and who he traveled with for decades, planting churches, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples who make disciples. Timothy was in Ephesus, and Paul wrote 2 Timothy to him to encourage him, to teach him more. It's it's an incredible little book, a little letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And if you want to know how a disciple makes disciples, read 2 Timothy. Because every single one of us who love Jesus are commanded to make disciples. And one of the things that Paul told Timothy was to please come visit me. Because being in prison at the point of death, Paul needed great encouragement. All of us need encouragement. It doesn't matter how strong we are in the faith or not. We need our brothers and sisters to encourage each other. And in this time of COVID, I hope even as hard as it's been, I hope it has reminded you and pressed you hard of the importance of fellowship with the body of believers. I say this a thousand times. There's no such thing as a lone Christian, a lone ranger Christian. It might seem easier to walk the faith by yourself, just me and Jesus, but we will be crushed by the power of the evil one, if we do not live in the body of the church. We need and desperately need one another, and we need that fellowship. And in this passage here, there's so many things in this passage. In fact, there are eight imperative commands. Say the word imperative. Imperative. It's a command that, that is essential, that is vital, that is utterly important. And Paul gives at least eight of those commands in this passage. And I was trying to figure out, I was like, man, what do I focus on in this passage? It's only like 12 verses. But you could preach almost 12 sermons. But before we dive into the sermon, I got a little story to share about my grandmother. My grandmother, she's with Jesus. She passed away in 1988. She is about four foot tall. My grandfather was about six foot four. And here we are in the middle. And when she graduated high school, I think it was in 1917 or 1923, I can't remember, she worked as a bank teller in a bank. She never ever learned how to drive a car. I mean, she could drive, but she never had a driver's license. But after high school, she was a bank teller. And one of the most important jobs that she had as a bank teller was to distinguish counterfeit bills. How did she do it? Her boss made her study true currency, the real dollar bills, the $1, the $5. And she had to study them day in and day out and day in and day out. She studied what the currency, what real money looked like, so that when the counterfeit bills would come across her table, she would be able to distinguish it right away. She was never given the task to study what counterfeit looked like, because you can make up a gazillion types of counterfeits. 
She was given the task to study what was the true currency and what it looked like. All the tiny details of true, real money. She became so aware of what that money was and what true currency looked like that when the false bills came across her desk and her table, she could, she could distinguish what it is. So here's my question for you. What is truth? What is truth? Think about it. What is true? We live in a day and age where most people say there's no such thing as absolute truth. Whatever you think is and whatever you think and feel is real, that's true for you. And whatever you think is real, that's true for you. Have you heard the phrase, whatever's true for you? About a year ago, I showed a diagram up on the boards, up on the screen. It's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And here you'll see it. Scripture, experience, tradition, and reason. Some people live their lives purely based on reason and science, scientific fact. And that's the foundation of their lives. Other people base their life on tradition. Family tradition, church tradition, national tradition. I'll never forget in Mexico, and I never really learned it the 20 years I lived there. I would come into someone's house, I usually had a backpack on, and I immediately would put it on the floor. And within 30 seconds, it would be on a couch or a chair or a table. Because in Mexico, you wouldn't put important things on the floor. It's a tradition. Is it right? Is it wrong? It's different than the States. In Mexico, you'd walk into a room with, say, five or six or ten people, and you'd go and shake every single person's hand. Drove me crazy in small groups. We'd be in the middle of a small group. Mexicans not, aren't known for coming on time. So the first 30 minutes of small group, people would come in, interrupt the meeting. But for Americans, we come in late. What do we do? We kind of say hi, and then we disappear because we're embarrassed. We're interrupting. Which tradition is right? For other people, it's experience. And you can flip this quadrilateral, reason on its head, experience on its head. Yeah, leave it right there, Caleb and Chris. This is our culture today. Most of our culture lives their life out of their personal experience or emotions. And in our culture today, if someone doesn't experience whatever it is, they don't have a voice. Make sense? How many times have we heard people say, well, I don't feel. I don't feel this. I don't feel that. So many of the people in our culture live their lives based off of their feelings and emotions. How solid and firm of a foundation is that? We're like the waves, the ocean, up and down, back and forth, or a kite in the air. John Wesley, a missionary here in the United States, taught that Scripture needs to be the foundation of our lives. We use tradition. We use reason. We use experience. We need all four to walk in the truth that is God's truth. But Scripture has to be the firm foundation of that. Keep this in mind as we look at this quick passage, and we're going to go quick. 
I said that there are eight imperatives. And so as I was praying this week, Lord, what do you want me to teach on? What do you want me to preach on? There's so much to preach here. And the first imperative is remind them of these things. So I thought, well, I could do that, but this kind of repeating what I preached on the past three weeks. Remind them of what things? Well, it's chapter one and the first tap of chapter two, the gospel, the gospel and suffering for Christ and the fact that God has given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love and of self-discipline, not of fear. I thought, no, I'd just be repeating, repeating myself. So I thought, what about the second imperative that's here in this passage? So the second one is this, charge them not to fight about words. The second part of this passage is charge them. Timothy, as you teach your congregation, don't fight over words. Now, if you read this passage carefully, Paul says it three times. uses different words. Don't argue, don't quarrel, don't fall into quarrelsome. And I thought, hey, none of us here in this congregation have ever fought over something dumb or senseless or pointless or useless. As I read this passage, I was like, man, Paul must have seen Facebook and Instagram. How many of you guys have texted something, written something, said something, got into an argument that was pointless or useless? I thought, oh, good, honest, very good. I thought, no, we've got that covered. We'll just move on. So the third imperative is this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. That's the third command that Paul gives Timothy in this passage. But I thought, man, I talk about that all the time. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In view of God's mercy, we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We talk about that a lot. So I thought, no, I won't talk about that command. So the fourth command is this. Avoid irreverent speech. Avoid empty speech. Again, that's the second time Paul was talking about our speech. But I know you guys, y'all never say anything irreverent, right? Never say anything senseless. You guys got it covered, right? Am I good? Pay attention now. So I decided, you know, we'll go to the next one. Turn away from wickedness. Paul commanded Timothy to command his congregation to turn away from wickedness. What does that mean? You see, those who are watching and worshiping with us online, they can see from that little camera right there in front of me, if I turn away from them, I'm turning my back on them and I'm walking away. And we're commanded to turn away from wickedness. How quick do we turn away from any and all things wicked? The next command is this, and it's very similar. Flee from youthful passions. Now, I'm going to have to be careful here. I thought, well, I'm not that young anymore. And a good chunk of our people in our congregation are around my age. So we really don't even have to apply this verse to us because we're not young anymore. I'm being facetious. What are youthful passions? Sexual morality? Pride? Arrogance? How many here love to submit to other people? Andrew, I tell you what, man, you are super honest, and that's awesome. Do we really love to submit to others? Or is youthful passion the pride and the arrogance and the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh? And Paul tells us to not only doubt, not only stay away from it, but to flee from it. Sounds a lot like Jesus. When Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it, you know, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, Jesus was, spe- was pe- preaching and speaking in hyperbole. 
Our bodies are temples. We should never malign it. But it shows the gravity of sin that we need to be fleeing from our youthful passions. On the flip side of that coin, what does Paul say? Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. That's what we're to pursue. Flee the evil. Pursue love, peace, righteousness. The next command is this. Reject foolish and ignorant talk. That's the third time Paul talks about our speech. But all right, you guys got that covered, right? So as I was figuring out, praying, Lord, what do you want me to focus on? There's all these amazing commands, but I know you guys got every single one of these covered, correct? We're dismissed. (laughs) This is my challenge to you this week. Pray over those eight commands. Let Holy Spirit speak to you about them. We're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Allow those eight imperative commands to speak to you. Let Holy Spirit speak to you. But what I want to focus on is in verse 14. Sorry, in verse 15. In verse 15, Paul tells Timothy this. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Correctly teaching the word of truth. And then in the next verse, Paul tells him in verse 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech. And we've looked at that a little bit. Since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Manaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth. I started with what is truth. God's word is truth. Jesus is the truth. And these two men, they departed from the truth. They departed from Jesus. They departed from God's word. And we really don't know why except for the fact that they themselves engaged in irreverent and empty speech. It makes me wonder, why did Paul command Timothy, flee from youthful passions and pursue love and peace and and joy, pursue those things? Why was Paul so hard on his teaching about irreverent speech, empty speech, foolish speech, senseless speech? And Paul tells Timothy, teach the word correctly. The only way we know how to teach God's word correctly is we got to dive into it ourselves. Now, most of us I know are believers, and I know most of us would say, yeah, I need to read my Bible. And we know we need to do that. But unfortunately, our culture today is such what I call a microwave culture, where we want results instantaneously. And we feel like if we persevere for two weeks, man, we've really persevered for two weeks. And if we don't see change, we're so tempted to throw in the towel. Oak trees take decades to grow and become huge with deep, deep roots. And they can live for 100 years or so. Cotton trees 
It takes them just a few years and they're huge, but they last maybe 20 years. What about the weeds that grow up in the summertime? Where are they in the winter? They're gone. They die out. There's no root. In the back of my yard, the grass doesn't grow because it's rocky soil. But where there's good soil and good water and good sunlight, roots grow deep. And what I want us as a church, today's sermon is a disciple knows truth. Do you know truth? That truth is Jesus. And do you know his word? And I say this a lot. Maybe we ought to make another t-shirt. We read the written word to have an encounter with the living word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. It's an amazing psalm. King David says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And I'm paraphrasing these three verses. Joshua 1.8, when God, when the Lord commanded Joshua, he says, do not depart from the book of this law, but meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything that is written in it so that you'll be prosperous and have success. Now, that's the context of Joshua, but the principle remains the same for us. That we need to be men and women, young and old, of his word. Many people make fun of me because I am an Anglican priest as well, and they laugh about the bishops and their big, huge, funny hats. It's called a mitre. Have you ever seen, or even the Pope with the big hat? It's called a mitre. That funny hat symbolizes the Bible, God's word. And a bishop will put that hat on as a symbol of submitting himself to God's word. And I can make us all look funny if you've got your Bible or if it's on your mobile device. Raise it up high and then put it on your head. Symbolic of submitting. Not everybody's doing it. Come on, guys. I'm just teasing. We submit ourselves to God's word. But the only way to do that is to know his word. So here's my challenge to you. I've got a couple questions and we'll close and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. My first question is this. How is the Bible speaking to you? For some of us, we might not have even opened it for a month. No condemnation. But God's word is his love letter to you and he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. How is Scripture speaking to you? My second question is this, or it's more of a statement. This is a ninth imperative, but it's not inspired by Holy Spirit the way the Scriptures are. Commit to reading one chapter a day from the Bible. Commit to reading one chapter a day in Scripture. If you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of John. And commit to reading one chapter a day. Within that, there's two questions. When you read that chapter today, and then tomorrow, and then Tuesday, two questions I want you to ask yourself and write it down in a notebook. The first question is this. Out of that chapter that you read, what is one verse that speaks to you? One. There might be ten. 
There might be none. But what is one verse that speaks to you in that chapter? Write it down. The second question is this. Why? You write that verse down, and then you write a paragraph. Why does that verse speak to you? And as you seek Jesus, and as you read His Word daily, as you allow Holy Spirit to teach you, not just for one day, not for one week, not for one month, not for one year, you will begin to see the Holy Spirit speak to you and you will be a disciple that truly knows the truth. Not only God's written truth, His Word, but you will know the living Word, King Jesus, more intimately, more deeply than you'll ever know. So that when the false waves of teaching and when culture comes barreling down on us and it's pressing hard on us as a church, we will be able to stand in the power of Holy Spirit. We will know truth and we'll be able to follow truth and we won't be tossed from one wave to the next wave of whatever crazy teaching from whatever crazy preacher preaches. Whatever new doctrine comes out even within politics and within the social culture, whatever movie, we'll be able to discern what is true and right and good and holy. And we will be able to cling and follow Jesus not only with power, but humility, meekness, anointing, and love. That is my challenge to all of us. A disciple knows truth. This is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. Let's live it. Let's know it. Let's follow it. Let's submit to it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible day. Let's stand. And Jesus, we ask now that you would speak to us as we remember who you are, Jesus, on the cross, your great sacrifice. Father, pour your love into us in a powerful way. Give us a new, fresh love for your word, a new, fresh love for your presence. And may we be men and women, young and old, who are men and women of truth, men and women of Jesus that we be able to discern between what is right and wrong, false and true, good and bad. Give us more hunger for you, Lord. And it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen.